So today we're going to learn the fifth and final Sicha talk on the subject of Tshuva, that's explanations to comments that the Rebbe's father wrote while he was in exile on the margins of his Tanya. He wrote 16 comments on the subject of the chap- 12 chapters of Tshuva from the Alter Rebbe and the Tanya, and the Rebbe analyzes them through 15 different published Sichas. In volume 19, there are five of those published. They were published in 1979. Ten years later, 1989, 1990, ten more of these talks were published. But they were all said in the years of 1969, 70, and 71, pretty much for two years. Now, I also want to make a mention that the subject of tshuva began, and the Rebbe mentioned that after the Six-Day War, the world, especially the Jewish world, was very open to their relationship with Hashem and getting closer and returning to Hashem. The Jewish world took such pride in the victories that it really awakened the world. So in the spirit of Teshuva, the Rebbe delved into talking a lot, a lot of the subject of these 12 chapters of the Alter Rebbe and analyzing it on many different uh, fronts. Another thing that I want to mention is that we spoke that the Alter Rebbe mentions different ideas of Teshuva and in the old days that we repented through bringing offerings in the temple and then after the temple was destroyed, we did it through bringing, uh, through fasting and the many different kinds of number, huge number of fasts for different kinds of sins as they're brought down in the Kabbalistic works, hundreds of fastings for certain sins. And the Rebbe uh, says that, because the, the, the Rebbe says that these days we don't, we're not strong enough to be able to concentrate in our learning Torah and serving God through fasting, so we should instead substitute the fasting with giving money to charity giving a certain amount of money that you would spend it on food, give that amount of money to charity. But the Rebbe said in the 1970 then, when he was talking about this whole subject, that he said nowadays, even that is hard to demand from people. Because not everybody is in a financial position to be able to give away that much money for charity. And sometimes it's a lot of money. So he learned from there that if you learn about the subject, the learning alone is the atonement instead of the actual fasting or even in the tzedakah in cases. So that's just an interesting uh, point. At the end of today's uh, class, I'm going to share with you one of the most amazing stories, I believe, as a conclusion to the five sikhas on the sub- amazing story on the subject of somebody who reached this very high level of tshuva that we're going to talk about soon. So this 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 sicha also analyzes a piece of the fourth chapter of Igeris Hatshuva that the Rebbe brings down. Now, let's just bring us to up to date in the chapter four. The Rebbe basically has a question. It says in the Zohar that for certain sins, it's like spilled milk and you can never make it up. Certain sins... For example, a person who misses prayer time. You missed the prayer time, the time finished. You can't, how could you make up that prayer? A person missed saying the Shema. It's called a sin that you can't make up. So the Zohar points out that certain sins you can't make up. So the Rebbe says, how could that be that there should be some sins that you can't make up? We know that nothing really gets into the way of a person who sincerely wants to repent. 
So how could you say that there's a category of sins that you can't make up? So he brings down from the Rashis Chachman uh, uh, on on the uh, on the Zohar um, from the Zohar, sorry from the Zohar Chadash. That's the name of a commentary that says that what does it mean you can't make up? For certain sins through repentance, it means the lower level of repentance. But there's a higher level of repentance. And the higher level could rectify any sin, even a sin that seems to be impossible. Then, in the same chapter, Dr. Rebbe asks a question. How could it be that the Torah says that certain sins causes a person to die at a young age? Uh, called the, exi- the punishment of karis, which is excision. And there's certain death sentences from heaven. And we see many people that live long lives and happy and healthy and good, sweet, sweet years. So how do you explain the, if this is what it, the punishment? You do see that people live long. So we have need explanation to that. But that it doesn't answer until he gets to chapter 6. But in this chapter, he starts to analyze deeper what does it actually mean teshuva. And we spoke about already the idea that teshuva is tashuv hey you're returning the hey of Hashem's name to where it belongs. So when you do a sin, you're breaking up the yud hey and the vav hey of God's name. When you're doing tashuva, you tashuv the hey you're bringing back the hey either to the vav or the hey to the yud. There's two hey's. There's a higher hey and a lower hey, which represents the two ideas of two different levels of tshuva. Then he said to understand this, you need to understand what are the letters in God's name. The Yud and the He and the Vav and the He. And it's worthwhile to write this down if you didn't yet, just to recap it, to really grasp it. He said that the Yud is the smallest letter, represents the, an idea. Just like an intellect, you have an idea that's like a little Yud, that's called wisdom or in the, the, the terminology called Chachma. It's the Chachma, it's a Chacham, it's the, the concept. Bina is already where you elaborate on the idea. So you're taking the Yud and you're expounding it into the letter Hey, making it broader. That's like taking wisdom and spreading it out, understanding it. Then he went and he said that there's the Vav. The Vav is the long stick. That's bringing down the intellect down through the six emotions because Vav is numerical value of six too. And then once it goes down into emotions, let's say it's in the heart, then from there you spread it out to the rest of the body. And that's the seventh called sovereignty, Malchus, which collects all the spheros and spreads it everywhere. But then in there, Dr. Rebbe said that there's also a kites on the Yud. If you remember that, we said that there's that little line that goes up on top of the Yud. You could call it a little tag that kind of goes up. It's a little extra ink that goes up on top of the Yud called the coats. And we said that that coats is a representation of the desire of the heavenly desire. In other words, it's even higher than intellect. Intellect is starting from your brain, and from your brain it's going from wisdom to understanding, knowledge, and to, to the emotion, emotions throughout your whole body. But then there's a level that's even higher than wisdom, and that is will, desire. So when Hashem says, I have a desire and I want you to do mitzvahs, I want you to do certain instructions He's going to tell us, that comes from Ratzon, from the will of Hashem itself. The will is higher than intellect. That's why today, if you ask a person, why do you want something? They can't always explain why. It's just a want. A want is higher than 
levels of intellect. Sometimes you can bring down the want and rationalize it and explain it. Sometimes you just want because you want. Why do I want this car? Why do, why do I want this house? Why, 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 right? So it's just, you want. So in there, in that phrase where he says that all the ten spheres are a collection of the in the name of God, as we just explained, starting from the Yud, that's only the Chnukud, and it goes down. Then he's added in the parentheses that the tag, the kites that's on top of the Yud, is a hint to the Ratzin El, to the desire of blessed be he, of Hashem's desire. Then he, now the Rebbe used and following few words. And he said, that the place of desire is even higher, higher, he uses twice the word higher, Shalamayla, Mayla, it's higher and higher of the levels of the highest level of Chachma. That's what he said. Now, what does these words actually mean? So let's, simple terms, and then we'll go to the Rebbe's father's comment on this. Simply it means is that you have, your brain is, like we said, you, you have different levels of, into three levels of intellect if you, generalize it. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. That's all in the brain. Then you could say that will, the power of will, will, desire comes from above wisdom. Now, in wisdom, you have the wisdom the way it's in your brain, and you have spiritual levels of chachma, of wisdom, which is the ten called spheros. What he's saying is, is that this level here of will, of the God's will, is even higher than the higher worlds of chachma. Because you have to break down that we are living in a material world called the world of action, Asiya. There's four worlds Hashem made. And we spoke about this many times. It's good to, you know, refresh ourselves. The highest world is called Atsilos. It's the world of sublimation. It's complete godliness. The second to the highest world is the world of Bria, where things, there's a concept of creation. The third world is called Yitzira. It's the world of formation. Things get formed. And from there, through all these steps, then you have the world of action, which is full of world of, of created creation and, and form, formation and time and space and so on and so forth. So in each world, you have the 10 spheros, the 10 attributes. You have the three intellectual, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and the seven emotions. So he's saying is that when we're talking here that that little top of the Yud, it's referring to the will of Hashem, which is higher even in the highest level of Chachma, which means even in the highest world of Atzillus, even it's even higher than that. Now, the Rebbe's father stops on the double expression. Now, the Rebbe wrote that it's higher, higher than the highest level of Chachma. What did he mean by that? If he wrote, it's higher, higher, double expression, he must be alluding to something. Right? Alter Rebbe wouldn't just say a word if it didn't come to teach us something more significant. So he explains. The Rebbe's father, remember, was a big Kabbalist. And he uses the, the Kabbalistic terminology to help understand this. And we'll try to explain it the best we can and learn from this. So he says it's like this. Higher, higher alludes to two levels in high. You have the level of Chachma, of wisdom, the way it's revealed. And then there's Chachma, the way it's concealed. 
Okay, think of this. Let's say, let's talk an hour level of us people. You have wisdom in your head, which you're able to actually express it. Let's use this, the analogy that we brought in the past for wisdom. You have the title of a lecture, the title of a book, right? You don't have all the details, so you don't really know much about the title, but the title itself is intriguing to you. So the fact when somebody announces that they have a, a, an idea or they tell you the name of the book, right? So that's already, that means that they revealed what they had in their mind, wisdom. But then you have wisdom that's concealed. Means it didn't even come out yet. The fact that it didn't come out yet means it's higher than what came out because the fact that the wisdom came out means it came down enough that you could even express it. Then you have a more hidden place that's not even expressed or can't be expressed or it's, it's so hidden. So he says that there is a level of chachma that's called the hidden chachma of a level called arich anpin. Arich anpin is a Kabbalistic terminology, but what it means is, arich means long. Anpin is from the word panim, face. Now, when you say a face, a face means that you could see all the details of the face. So in spheros, you could see all the, you have the eyes, you have the nose, the mouth, the ears, it's all different Different, it's like you have the full picture, in other words. So in levels that are higher than Chachmah, higher than the ten spheres, what do you have above the ten spheres? You have what's called Keser, a crown. As we mentioned in the past, a crown is on the top. It's not in the head, it's above the head. So there's Keser, Keter, the crown that goes above the spheres. In the crown, there's different levels. So one of the levels is called Arach Anpin, and there's a level there in the crown that's also referred to as the hidden chachma, which is even higher than the chachma, the way it's in the world of Atsilas. In other words, we said before that there's four worlds, and in each world you have all the ten spheres. Even the highest world has chachma. This is talking about a hidden chachma that's even higher than the chachma in the highest world. That's why we're calling it the concealed chachma, because it's so high that it can't even, you can't even see it. And then, above that, once you called it Chachma, you called it wisdom, above that is will, the, the desire. So the God's desire comes from the skull, which is higher than Chachma. The skull is called Gugalta. Gugalta is the skull. So now, think of, a, think of a simple, regular human body's head. You have your brain, which is in the head. So the skull is above it. So desire, we're using... These, it almost sounds like just like euphemisms, but it's basically an, ex, an expression of it by saying that it's the skull that you're trying to say that when you say it's a skull, you're trying to say that it's above even the chachma. Comes out that the desire that we're talking about from Hashem, that that little piece of the yud alludes to, is even higher than the chachma, the way it is in the highest world. So, when, in other words, when Alter Rebbe says, high. High, what does he mean? Even, it's not just desire that's right above. It means higher than even the highest level of wisdom. Okay. Now, we have a question here. When you say that there's that little tag on top of the Yud, that shows on a level of Chachma, the way it's in Atzillus, because we said there's that little line, but that little line is connected to the Yud. That means it's connected to the Chachma. 
why do you have to tell me and stress that it that is not just that it's connected to Chacham, but really it goes even higher than that. It goes on the desire of Hashem. And it's even higher than the hidden Chachma level. Why do I have to notice? Why is it relevant? In other words, the Alter Rebbe just said higher, higher. We didn't know what that is. But the Rebbe's father explained higher, higher means even higher than the Chachma that's concealed. Why do I have to know that? How is that helping me to anything? In other words, you're telling me Kabbalistic terms, but bottom line, we're people that want to be able to take the Torah and help it into our lives. So what does this have to do with us? How's this actually helping me to know that where's this level of desire? It's so high, even higher than the hidden levels of Chachma. So from here it's understood that when there's this double expression, he's not just trying to tell you where it is, but he's also trying to tell you how much that level of Hashem's desire is higher than the highest level of Chachma, the way it's in that world of Atzillus, and knowing th- and that you have to say a double expression with that. So we have to understand why is that important here to the Igeret Ha Teshuva. Now, so to explain this, the Alter Rebbe. The Alt, he says like this, when the Alter Rebbe says that that little line on top of the Yud hints to the desire of Hashem, which is higher and higher from levels of higher levels of wisdom, that's only really an introduction to something that he's going to continue on to explain and explain. And the full explanation comes out, not in chapter 5 or 6, only in chapter 8. For example, over there he says that the 13 attributes of Hashem's mercy it cleans, it cleans all blemishes. How does this level clean out all blemishes, the 13 attributes of mercy? That's because the desire of Hashem comes from such a high place on the top of the Yud, which is higher, higher, from any level that goes into the four level letters, letters of Hashem's name. In other words, the, the, when, when you do a sin, you're affecting the letters of Hashem's name. So how do we clean any blemish that you caused there? Cause there, you have to go to, so to speak, a chemical or something that's higher outside of what got it dirty to be able to clean that up. What is that in spiritual level? What is that? That's the source of Hashem's desi- the desire point itself. Therefore, he says that it's higher, higher in order to cleanse any blemish that was in the four letters. Letters, and to do that, you need to come from such a high, high source. That means that that level of wisdom that's concealed, even though that there's a higher level of the highest levels of Chachman, all this that's in the letter Yud of God's name, nevertheless, since this high level is only one time, wisdom is only one time higher, that means the concealed level of Chachma has a connection to Hatzilas. As we said before, the Chachma starts like the idea of it, like, like the crown. But in the crown, it's concealed, then it comes out into the brain. So that level, since it's connected to the lower level, that doesn't have enough power to cleanse any blemish. So where does the source to be able to claim a blemish, it will come only from the desire of Hashem that's way higher than any level of wisdom, even the concealed level of wisdom. In other words, you have to go back far enough to the place of desire. Now, the Rebbe says we have a question here. 
There's another place outside of the Tanya, with the, uh, where we have a lot of Torah teachings from the Alter Rebbe. It's called, the book is called Lekutit Torah. I mentioned in the past that the Tzamech Tzedek brings down that there's, there's a two-volume books on the weekly Parsha, Hasidus on the par- weekly Parsha. Fascinating, fascinating Hasidic insight on the weekly Parsha. And it takes a lot of work to learn it and understand it but he had the first volume is called Torah and the second volume is called the Kutatar and that had to do with in Russia there was they was banned they banned Jewish printing presses after volume one was printed so until they finally got permission to open the Jewish printing presses again the time they had to were able to print the second volume they had to do it with a different name so it didn't have to do with stuff from before the decree and so in the in the volume of the Kutatar over there the Alter Rebbe says that the place that could fix any blemish that happens through the revelation of the 13 attributes of mercy is because the 13 attributes of mercy comes from a place called concealed wisdom. Which concealed wisdom is even higher than the level called a skull. Because again, a skull is higher than the brain. No matter even the heel, hidden levels of wisdom that don't even come out, the skull is still above that. Well, that seems to be a little bit seemingly in, in, in uh, contradiction to what we said here in the Tanya. Because here he says that how does the 13 attributes of mercy, that's the level that could clean out any blemish, is because that comes from the source of God's desire, which is the level of the skull. So here he's telling us that it comes from the level of the skull, which is higher than the hidden level of Chachma. But in the Kutatari, he says it actually comes from the level of the hidden level of the skull, of the, of the hidden level of wisdom. So in other words, where is the source where Hashem's desire comes out and it could clean up blemishes down here? In other words, blemishes don't reach that high. It only reaches to lower levels in Hashem and not to these higher levels of Hashem. Is it from the skull level or is it from the hidden level of Chachma, of wisdom? The concealed level of Chachma doesn't come out. Let's just, by the way, that's just this, that's the question, but I just want to be able to reiterate this and let's try to use a little bit of extra words to help us to understand what does it mean that there's a level, that level could come and clean up a blemish. We have to remember, let's think of it a little bit, that when a parent tells a child something, you give an instruction, you say, this is what I want you to do, right? So if the child doesn't do it, there's a blemish, because you asked them to do it, and it bothers you, they didn't listen to you. But then there's a place inside you, as a parent, that it doesn't really bother you so much. Did do it, didn't do it. Doesn't I still love my kid. It, it's like, you think what I asked him to do is going to bother me to my core. It's like, it, it's those are small trivial things of life. There's bigger things, which is, you know, the essence of our relationship. So in other words, not every time when a child doesn't listen, does it actually bother you to the core. The point is that there is going to be always a place that's deep enough inside you that it doesn't bother you. So on the more external surface of the parent, yes, it bothers you. But then you get more deeper, deeper inside, you don't even think about it. You don't lose sleep on it. 
Now, just let's use that a little analogy, but in a much bigger way when we talk about God who's infinite. So when Hashem says, I want, for, I want you to do Torah and mitzvahs, that's what I want, that's my desire. So if you don't do it, it bothers Hashem. But then when you think about it deeper, ultimately Hashem is much bigger than that if you did do it or you didn't do it. So there's a higher level of Hashem. That, that, at that point level, you're right, it doesn't make a difference. So certain levels of Hashem's expressions, it makes a difference if we do the mitzvah or it makes an even difference how you do the mitzvah, right? If you buy a little vanessa, did I buy a good kind, a better kind? How careful was I, right? Am I doing this right? But then there's a, there's a level that you're my child no matter what. So that's the point here. We, in order to cleanse a blemish, you have to go to the place where the blemish doesn't really matter there. So we said that the blemish is in the name of Hashem. But then there's a level of Hashem that's higher than a name. Take all of us human beings. We all have a name. But why do you have a name? Let's, you're talking about your own name. Why does a person have a name? For yourself you have a name? No, you have a name for somebody else to call you. To identify you. If you lived all by yourself, you'd never, even, never need a name. You only have a name for somebody else. So the whole thing of a name is only for somebody else. So it goes, it's only like this because that's the way it is by Hashem. Hashem has names. But then there's the levels of Hashem that's beyond the names. So it's only at those levels that are way beyond the name of Hashem, which is beyond the letters of Hashem's name, meaning higher than the hey, higher than the vav, go up higher, the, the higher hey, higher than the higher yud, which is wisdom and chachma, and then you go to the skull and you go even higher than that. That's the level that could come down and cleanse it. So now we have a, a, now let's summarize what our question is here. Here in the tshuva subject, he said that where's the place that Hashem, that our blemishes don't affect up there. That's the level that could clean a blemish because it's so high. That's the level we said of the skull. And the skull is higher than the highest, than the most deepest level of wisdom. But in Lakuta Torah over there, he says that the 13 attributes of mercy is awakened to the place of the healed of the of the concealed level of wisdom in the brain. So that so which one is greater? Which one is higher? Is it the skull or is it the concealed level of wisdom in the brain? Seems like open contradiction. So the Rebbe is going to show us that when you learn the subject properly, you'll see that it's actually not a contradiction, and it depends. There's going to be a level where there could be a combination. Of the higher and the lower, both all together. And that's, that's what's a fascinating thing here. So he says like this. What happens when a person sins? Which then if you sin, then you need to have a correction for the sin. So there are two things that happens when a person sins. Number one is that when you sin, you created something negative through the sin. And you created like something kind of like sticking to you. It's almost like something's like hugging you. It's embracing you. It's all around you. The sin is around you. And since the soul of a Jew is a part of Hashem, as we learned many times, that means that what you did, your blemish, is an effect. It causes like some dirt on the four letters of Hashem's name. So the first thing that happens when a person does a sin is you become connected with negativity. And it's attaching itself to you. It's like that, that, that it's hugging you. It, it's holding on to you. That's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens when a person does a sin is we have to understand what happens when you do a mitzvah. When you do a positive mitzvah or when you 
fulfill a negative commandment, what happens is, is you bring down a godly light energy into this world. Every time you do a mitzvah, you bring a godly energy into this world. You put on tefillin, you brought a godly light into this world. You said a bracha on something, you brought on a, on a cup of water, you brought a godly light into this world. A woman lit the candle, she brought a godly light into the world. By not doing the things we're not supposed to do, means, meaning following those mitzvahs, it says don't eat certain food. By not eating that food, you bring down a special light into this world. Now what happens if I sin on the mitzvah? Besides the negativity that attaches to me, I'm also causing that a light that was supposed to come down into this world didn't come down. So there's now a lack of light that was supposed to be here. So again, there's two things that happens when you do a sin. One is you attach yourself to negativity. And the second thing is you didn't bring down the light that you were supposed to bring down. There's missing a light. Therefore, when you have to do the tshuva, well, now we have to make up for this. It's not enough just to clean yourself up from the dirt. You know, you go like this. You know, sha sha, I got the schmutz off my uh, off of me. That's not enough. I have to do something so great to make up to bring down the light that I would have brought down when I did the mitzvah. So how could I do these two accomplishments when I do teshuva? How could, how could you make up, clean the dirt and bring down that light? That's because when you do teshuva, you're bringing down a place, not just the desire of Hashem, but you're bringing down actually Hashem itself. In other words, you're bringing down the owner of desire which is higher than the desire itself. In other words, take, for example, on a human being first, then we'll go to Hashem. You just use the example so you can appreciate it. If you say you have a desire to do something, I have a desire, whatever, you want to go biking, whatever it is, you want a car, yeah? So the desire is the car. Then there's the person who has the desire. The person is higher than the desire. The desire is only the expression that comes out of you. Then there's the Baal HaRatzon, right? You remember we spoke Baal Tshuva? There's the Baal of the Ratzon. There's the owner of the desire. The owner of it is higher than the desire itself. You're not going to say you are the desire. The desire is something that you want, but there's a you. So there's the owner of it. So now let's go now to the Hashem, the, 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 who's the author of the desires for mitzvahs. So when you do Tshuva, you're bringing down, you're awakening, so to speak, this level of the Baal HaRatzin, of the owner of the Ratzin itself, of, the, of this desire, which is higher than the desire for the mitzvahs itself. At that level, I'm now going to a higher level than the desires that Hashem wants us to do a mitzvah. So let's say Hashem has a desire, wants us to, let's say, to eat in a sukkah, okay? Coming up, okay? So the desire is you should eat in the sukkah, you should do the mitzvah. But now I'm not just going to the level of desire. I'm going to the level of the owner of the desire, which is the essence of God itself. At that level, we could fix both things that happen when you do a sin. Even though the owner of this, this level of desire is not forced and doesn't, he's not dependent on the will level of the mitzvahs itself. And it's not possible that when I do a sin, it should have any 
like effect on him. In other words, that level of God itself is beyond the level of his communication with us of his desires. It's even beyond that. So when I do a sin, it doesn't even reach that level. Therefore, it's only at that level that he could come down and wash up and clean up that sin and the blemish. And since at that level of the owner of the desires itself, there's no limitations. Therefore, when he comes down, he could accomplish and rectify not just the cleaning of the sin, of the dirt that you did when you did a sin, but he could also bring down the, a light that you were supposed to do when you were supposed to do the mitzvah. Because now I say, when you do tshuva, you're saying, Tashem, I can't believe what I did. I feel so bad. I regret it. I make the commitment to go further and not that it shouldn't happen again. So now the source of everything, higher than the source of the God's desire, you should do the mitzvah, even higher than that. God himself now gets awakened to come down because you, 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 you're touching to God itself. You're saying, I want to repent for this. So Hashem comes down to the point where he cleans it and he makes up the, that for that lost light also. So when they say you can't make up for spilt milk, it's not true. Because if you are the owner of the milk source, you could bring so much milk that it will be that you, didn't, you never missed anything. When is there a problem where you can't make up the spilt is when you only have a limited of source. So then you're going straight to the cow or to the farmer, right? And so on. But when you're going to the source of it all, the one who provides it all, then you can make it all up the same way he gave you a little bit. He gave you more. Like, it's not a, there's no limitation to it. Comes out. That in the reason for these two things that happens comes only from the source of the source of desire. There are two things that are seemingly like opposites that will happen here. The reason why the sin is nullified and the blemish is completely gone is because at that level of God itself, what we do down here doesn't matter. There's actually an expression we say in our morning davening. We, in, the, in the preface to before the davening, we say, So many of my sins, what does it really mean to you, Hashem? If I did justice, what does that really do for you that I do justice? Like part of our expressions to Hashem in the morning. Like, does it really matter to you? We try to awake ourselves. In other words, at that level, does it really matter to you? At that high level of Hashem. So at that level, we're talking about the level where our things really don't matter. doesn't matter if you did right, you did left. It's not relevant at that because it's even higher than the place of where He told you what He wants us to do. In the level where he told you what he wants to do over there, it doesn't matter. But in the level of God itself, which is higher than even that, at that level, it doesn't matter. And on the other hand, when we awaken that level of a high level of Hashem, it comes down, he brings down a light. You can't say that it's because he's higher than the whole thing, because then I'll be missing the light here. So in other words, it comes down because Hashem wants it to come down. So now I awaken this high level of Hashem and at that level Hashem says, yeah, I want the desire to come all the way down. Uh, no. Now the accomplishment of this is that when you reach to the level of the desire, of, of the source of the desire, I'm close to good, of the source of the desire itself, and, which is even higher than the source where Hashem says, that's I want you to do a mitzvah. 
there's a big difference because at the level where Hashem says, I want you to do a mitzvah, that means that's talking about a level where things are limited. He says, I want you to do a mitzvah and every mitzvah has certain limitations to it. So when I go to the level higher than the place where he had a desire for us to do mitzvah, I'm going to a place that has no limitations. And that's why it's amazing when you do tshuva. Because tshuva reaches to a level where you could have, it could seem like there's contradictions there. But it's not, because there's no limitation there. Once you go high enough to a place where there's higher than limitations, now there's no, there's no problems. In the world of limitation, if I missed bringing down a light, <laughs> I didn't bring it down. It's gone. It's too late. But once you reach to a place that's higher than limitation, higher than limitation, I could, I could go backwards. I could bring you a light that you should have brought down yesterday. Because the only reason why there's a yesterday and there's a today is because there's a limitation of a clock. And the clock says that yesterday is yesterday, today is today. But if I go to a level where yesterday and today is all one, it's no problem. Now, just like in the level of tshuva, for, to, doing, for studying Torah and doing mitzvahs above, that tshuva reaches to a place of the so, higher than the, the place of desire itself, meaning higher than the place where he said, I want you to do certain mitzvahs. So too, tshuva... The tshuva level in a person like connected to your soul, when you do tshuva, what you're bringing out, that you're connecting now to, with a place with Hashem, with the essence of my soul, is connecting with the essence of God itself. That's how high we're going. So in the bonding of your essence with, this, with your soul, that, hap- that comes out through doing tshuva, you have two things. You have like two things like in the, in the essence, your essence, connecting to Hashem. There's two things here that are happening here. Number one is the reason that, that causes a Jew to repent is because your most inner bond with Hashem was lacking. So that's why I now got an awakening that I want to rebond my essence with Hashem. I don't want there should be any, God forbid, any weakness in my relationship. That happens through a sin. And that's the level that we say that even though you did a sin, you're still a Jew. Why is that? Why do we say that? We should say when, you're, when you sin, you're not a Jew. You, we never say that. We say even if you sin, you're a Jew. Like I always use the example. If you have nine people for a minion, and you go outside and you find a Jew that's a big sinner. He doesn't keep Shabbos and all kinds of terrible things. You could call that person and count him in for a minion. How's that possible? Because even if you're a sinner, you're still a Jew. Why is that? Because even when you actually sin, you still actually believe in God. You remember we brought down many times in Hasidus and other places in Hasidus. They bring down the example from the Talmud that... A robber, when he steals, he makes a little prayer before he steals and he says, God, please help me that I should be successful in my steal. But that doesn't make sense. You know God doesn't want you to steal. Why are you coming now to God to ask you to be successful in it? The point is that you do believe that there is a God. I, if you believe this, obviously you're praying to God, even this sub, you know, quiet you know, in your mind, whatever, right? So why you, why are you stealing if you know that Hashem, if you believe in Hashem? And the answer is because the level of your faith in the existence of Hashem is only external. You don't really feel it in your insides. 
That's why it's possible to be a believer and also do a sin. If you truly revealed the deeper parts of your soul, it would, it would overpower it, the desire of the, of, the, of the steal or the sin. So that's the point here. That the reason why you're doing tshuva is because you know that the deeper part of me is connected to Hashem and I don't want that there should be something that's weakening my relationship. And this bonding of my essence reflects also on the external part of my behavior. To the point that even on the outside, I'm starting to feel that I'm ripped away from God. And that could bring to the tshuva where I regret for this, that I did a sin, that, that these sins are separating my relationship with Hashem. Mavdala makes like Avdala separation with me and Hashem. And I accept upon myself that I won't go back to those foolish ways anymore. And I will serve Hashem and guard the mitzvahs and so on. So that's number one, the first part. So the first part is a practical part is for the Jew is that because tshuva is awakened because I don't want to have a dividingness between me and God. The second thing is, since the reason why I came to do tshuva is because of my true bonding with Hashem, which is higher than the bonding that expresses itself when, through doing mitzvahs. Therefore, even in the tshuva alone, not just do I make a solid commitment that I'm going to serve Hashem, but I want, my desire is, that I should be so bonded with God to return to Him in a way that I know that I'm going to do it in a way where I cannot not do it. In other words, it's taking you much higher now. You're now, not just because I don't want to be separated, I cannot not do the mitzvah because it's going to cause another effect that it's going to keep me separated. Therefore, even when I do the mitzvahs, I'm so committed that I'm not only committing myself in my relationship with Hashem for something that He commanded me to do. When I'm doing something because Hashem told me to do it, then I could be doing it only because that's my obligation. I have to do it. Then if you do it only because I have to do it, because I accepted myself, I'm going to do whatever Hashem wants, then you're only going to do your minimal obligation. But if I say that I'm going to do it because I want to return to God, I want to get as close as I can to God, now you're going to realize that God is infinite. It's not enough just to do mitzvahs because these are the mitzvahs that he told me to do. But I'm going to constantly look for ways to bond more and more and more and more. It's never going to be enough because Hashem is infinite. Right? Somebody came to me today and he told me, he said, I don't really understand the difference between all these different etrogs. I'm giving you an example, right? So many different prices. He says, I hear people pay $500 for etrogs. So I said, look, to fulfill your minimum requirement, the Torah says you should have a beautiful fruit, pre-Eitz Hadar. So there's a minimum level to do that mitzvah. That is, you buy yourself a fruit that is in this category of pre-Eitz Hadar, that's a pretty fruit. And that is, as the Talmud says, and they prove it from different words in the Torah, it's, a, it's the only fruit that takes all four seasons of the year to be able to grow. And it looks nice. Looks nice means it should be more perfected, right? Look nicer. 
you can make make sure there's zero marks on it. You know, you can start getting more. Then you can also go where the location is, where it grew. So there's so many levels in going to it. So when you are doing mitzvahs because I want to fulfill my obligation and that's it. So okay, I can fulfill my obligation for, for, for a bare minimum. But if I'm looking to bond with Hashem, not just to fulfill my quota, I'm looking to get closer and closer and closer, then it's infinite. Every year, I want to do it a little bit better and a little bit more, a little bit more, a little more, a lot more. Because you just, it's going infinite. So when it comes to tshuva, we have these two things here too. The bonding that you have with the essence of your soul that comes out through tshuva is compared to these two things of connecting yourself to the source of the desires. The idea of bonding yourself with the essence that comes out, it's recognized that it comes out that that's the reason that brings you to, that brings the Jew to, Jew to do to Shuvah means over that's the level where I don't want any sin to get close to it, that it shouldn't be affected by any sin in my relationship. And it should all, my relationship should all be perfect. So that's like the first thing that a chet the first level, that a chet, a sin, doesn't reach there. So I want to bond with the level of the balharats and the source of desire because that's the place where sin doesn't reach there. So that's the place where I don't want my relationship to have any sin in the way. And then you have the higher level of tshuva where there's a, the essence of bonding that's expressed in the tshuva that the desire is to be completely attached with Hashem and not limited to anything that's minimal to the law. It's not just because I was told to. It's even more than that. That's like the second level. Because again, when I get to the Hashem itself, which is even higher than the place where He gave us desires, there's no limit there. And we could say that this is also the reasons why when it comes to the cleansing of a person and the purifying of your soul from those dirty garments, the garments that got dirty, meaning your external parts that got dirty, it's enough to cleansing levels, enough to lower level of tshuva. But in order to bring down the light that was missing, I need to reach to what's called teshuva ilah, the higher tshuva. You remember last time we spoke that there's the two hays, the lower hay in Hashem's name, the second hay, yud hay vav hay. So vav and hay, the lower hay is the lower tshuva, and then you have the higher hay, which has to do with the higher the yud. That's the higher level tshuva. So to be able to make up for the light that I lost, I have to go to the higher level of tshuva. The cleansing out of blemishes comes because the source of the desire is a place where sin doesn't reach to. And in comparison to the soul of the person, that your sin doesn't reach, reach to that level of the bond that you have with God. But when you talk about bringing down the light into this world to make up for the light that was missed, there cannot be any limitation. If there's a limitation to it, then it's not going to come down there. So you have to reach in your relationship to Hashem to a place where I'm not limited in my relationship. If I want to be able to make up for spilt milk, for lost light, you have to reach a level in the relationship with God where you are serving God Without limitations. Once you're doing limitations, then you're in the lower level of tshuva. Once you're serving God with infinite devotion, I'm not bound to any limitation, then you already moved into a level where you can make up and go backwards in time. And therefore, in order to clean out 
any blemishes. For that alone, you're right. There's enough to lower tshuva. But if I want to make up for the light, I have to go to the higher tshuva. And how does this happen? How is it possible to go with that level of, of such like, you know, infinite powers? Because going out of your box, out of your limitation, your limitations for a Baal Tshuva means that you're connecting with Hashem. And the reason is to bring down that lost light. In other words, like to make up for the years I didn't do it or for the day I didn't do it. And the real reason that you could do this is, is because as there's a, a Kabbalistic term, and he brings it down later in chapter 8, that comes from the Zohar, that says that you bring down on yourself a much greater intensity that's longing from your heart with a great forcefulness to approach the king himself. In other words, you're going very deep into deep places of strength. You know, you want to talk about an example of going deep places in strength that you never knew. You know, there was that story of a, of a mother who saw a car riding over her child. And when she saw that, she was able to find these infinite powers. She was able to lift up the car to pull her kid out. How does a mother be able to lift up a car? It doesn't make sense at all. And if she would try to do it after, she wouldn't be able to do it. There are certain moments that could bring out an infinite power that you never exercised. So when the bond with Hashem is complete and that could clean out any for any blemishes that's revealed again that again that's the lower level of tshuva because the general idea of tshuva is from the essence of your of your soul is always going to be that even when I sin I'm connected to Hashem because ultimately I'm always perfect you're, you're a Jew is attached how could you be attached if I'm doing a sin? Because you're attached to the higher level, a place where over there the sin doesn't even reach to. Based on all of this, this is the difference between the two things, the two points. Cleansing for the blemish or making up for lost light that happens through tshuva. Fixing up the blemish since that comes through the bond with the essence of your neshama, with the essence of Hashem, the Baal HaRatzin, the source of Ratzin. Over there to begin with, there's no blemish. That's the place where the beginning should begin with. There's no blemish. So it's not just done in a way where you do tshuva, where I'm doing tshuva in order to cleanse a blemish. It's that, that's not the, that's not the, the ultimate reason. The ultimate reason is that through tshuva, you reveal the deep bond that you have with Hashem. And therefore, automatically, the blemish is gone. So in other words, it's not that I have to say, oh, I, I can't wait to reach the level that it, it's going to clean my blemish. It's not that. It's that I revealed the true bond that I have that the blemish is not relevant anymore. Right? Think about that in a relationship with people. Imagine you did something that you hurt somebody's feeling. But then you make it up and you go out and you spend time and you became such best friends again that blemish is gone. You never even think about it. It never comes up again. So it's the bond, there's such a positive bond that now I don't even see that anymore. So that's what it means when you connect your soul with Hashem's, your essence of your soul, with the essence of God, which is higher than the sources of desire. At that level, it's a cleansing of the blemishes because at that level, we don't see the blemish anymore. Think of it like if you're flying on a plane, you get so high, you don't even see any dirt that's down here. Right? Because once you go deep enough, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, you don't see it anymore. There, it's completely clean. 
But when you're talking about making up the light, since that is connected with bringing down this level of Hashem, which is even higher than the place where he has a desire, where he tells us what to do, so too in the service of your soul. When you bring down this revelation of your soul, it's revealing this desire of Hashem which connects us. It happens in a way because I have this, this like passionate forcefulness in proclaiming God as my king and making this a reality. It's like I'm using strengths that I never really access to. That means that I'm bringing down a light that I could feel the tshuva, this high level of tshuva, that comes because it's a re'usa deliba. It's an intense longing of the heart, which is light, by the way, making like a vessel. It's like making, a, I'm, by this longing, strong, passionate desire to close to Hashem, that's like making a vessel where the light could come into it, the light that was missing. Now, when it comes, there's two kinds of making vessels. Hashem says that, that, um, that the two, 248 limbs that we have that a human being has corresponds to the 248 limbs of Hashem. And then he says there's 248 mitzvahs. What's the connection between a limb and a mitzvah? Why do we make that similarity? So it's explained in, in Chassidus that just like a limb of your body is a vessel to hold, let's say, the blood, right? So you have a certain blood or energy, forcefulness that comes into your fingers, into your hand, into, into different places all over your body. So so too... Every mitzvah is like a vessel to hold the light of Hashem. So how do you bring, contain and bring down this light? By doing this mitzvah. Certain mitzvahs, you bring down bigger light. Certain mitzvahs, small light, depending on the mitzvahs and so on, right? But we don't know the difference. So that's why we, we treat and practice all mitzvahs equally. That's what the Mishnah says. You should do harder mitzvahs, smaller mitzvahs, all equally. Because they all bring down the light. Now, here he's talking about that we're going even higher than the place that's like a vessel. What is that? That's t- t- a teshuva. Teshuva is even higher because Hashem says 248 positive mitzvahs, 365 negative mitzvahs, those are the limbs. That's the place. That's only the source. That's only a vessel for Hashem's desire level to go in there. But if you want to go higher, that's to teshuva. Based on all of this, we can understand why here in the, this section of teshuva, the cleansing of the blemishes comes from the desire of Hashem, which is higher, higher than the highest level of Chachma. Meaning to tell you here that at the level the way his father's comments is, that the level is the level of the skull, which is higher than even the deepest levels of wisdom that's concealed. And concealed. Even though in the Torah over there, he says that it comes from the hidden levels of, the, of wisdom, meaning not the level of the skull. He says, now we understand the difference of the two places. In Lakuta Torah, he's talking about when you know how when you say the 13 attributes of mercy, one of them you say, These are different levels. means, no say means lifting up. Hashem lifts up the sin and transforms it from darkness to light to the extent that even sins are recognized like a merit. Why? How is that possible? He explains in the Tanya. The reason why that's possible is because what awakened you to do the mitzvah? The sin awakened you because you felt so far away from Hashem by doing so many sins. So now the sin itself awakened you. So the sin now is counted like a merit. So in other words, it's in, it's in the specialty of the sin that now made you do this, the, the merit. So that's what it means. No say of 
Naisei, lifting up the sin to the point that it's transformed. Hashem, your 13 attributes, your attribute lifts up the sin and transforms this darkness now into a light. The sin now turns into a pillar of merit. And since you're even the, even the purposeful sins that you did turns into merits. That's the idea of tshuva that happens through bringing down the light that you were supposed to bring down to begin with when you did the mitzvah. When you were supposed to do the mitzvah. When you're supposed to do the mitzvah, you're supposed to bring down the light. But you didn't. You did a sin. I, that sin now, got me now to do the mitzvah. Now it's so that sin is light counted as a merit. That means at that level, you now were able to transform. Now you brought down the light that was supposed to bring for that. To the point that bringing down this is not just through the tshuva, but it's also through the transforming of it into merit. And this is bringing down comes down because of the reason of the greatness of tshuva, as we explain in Tanya, in chapter 7, that through tshuva, me'ava, through doing tshuva with love, not tshuva out of fear, tshuva out of love is much higher, and that turns over, since that you did intentional, turns them into merits. Because that's what brought you to this level of loving Hashem so much. Therefore, at that level, it's important, the level of the brain, the level of wisdom, even the concealed level of wisdom. At that level, that's the reason that, that, that there's, because there's a logic there. There's a logic that the sin brought me to repent and come back. So now you're at a, at, at a level of transforming the sin into merit. Therefore, through the tshuva, that brings down this missing light. But when he's talking in the Gerasa Tshuva over here, he's talking about a different one of the 13 attributes. Remember, you go, Then you go, Then Vinake. What's Vinake? Vinake is the last word there. Vinake means cleaning. Cleaning up and returning. Washing out, cleansing the soul from any dirty schmutz that came on even onto your garments of the soul. And that comes through the level of the desire of Hashem at the level of the skull, which is even higher than the level of the concealed level of wisdom. Because at this level of cleansing the blemish, that comes to a place that even sin doesn't reach there. And that's only possible at the level of the desire of above, that's even higher than any rationale, even hitting, even hidden reasons. Now with this, we conclude this sicha that the Rebbe said in Parsha Azinu of 1971. But now I told you I was going to share with you a story. And this is, I believe, after us learning all five and concluding all five of these sichas on the subject of tshuva and we all tried so hard to learn this as best as we can even though some of these terminologies were the first time that we learned them. But I believe it deserves that we should now share this following story. It's a story about the power of a person who is able to reach this high level of tshuva. In other words, even though in many books it seems like it's not possible to make up for something that you did such a bad sin, there's a story where you could see that even the worst of sins you were able to make it up. This is a story that was written up by the previous Rebbe himself. And he published it as his uh, introduction 
to a book called Paikeach Ivrim, which means the opening up the eyes of the blind. Okay? And that's a book that was written by the Mittler Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe's son, the second Chabad Rebbe. And they say that he wrote that book for this person who was that Balchuva, who we're going to tell you the story about. So this story is a story that happened somewhere approximately around the year of 1801. There was a Jew who was about 60 years old, and his name was Rabbi Yosef Bashinkovitz. They called him Rabbi Yosef Balhasbara, the man who had a great way of expressing Torah knowledge. He was very Torah learned, and he was a major Torah scholar. People would come to him for advice. Rabbi Yosef, at that age, his wife passed away, and he was a widower. And every two, three years, he would travel to his Rebbe, who was the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe. And he would come to seek his advice, and learning, or whatever it was. Two, three years after he lost his wife, he made his way to the city of Liadi, and he came to see the Alter Rebbe. And the Alter Rebbe asked him if he learns Taira, if he learns Mishnayos. And he said, yes. He says, I learned the Mishnayos. I think the Alter Rebbe may have asked him even if he knows if he learns it by heart. And he said, yes. And he says, I go through the entire Mishnayos approximately once a month. Alter Rebbe told him that since Mishnah is the same letters of Neshama as soul, therefore, for your soul, you should remarry a woman that could have children. In other words, she should be age, you know, that she could still be, have children. And for your soul, you should not become a rabbi. You should actually become a wagon driver. A balagala. In today's day, you would say you should become a taxi driver. Now this man, when he left the Alter Rebbe's meeting, he decided that he's going to take serious the first thing. And he's going to look for a wife. And in a short while, he found a wife. A number of years later, he has a child. With this wife, of course. And Alter, he... He uh, and a little bit later, a delegate a delegation came to him from Vitebsk, a big city, and they offered him a job. They should become the rabbi of their city. So he told them that I have to decline because when they asked him to become their rabbi, he remembered that ten years earlier, the Rebbe told him that he shouldn't become a rabbi, but he should become a wagon driver. So now he felt was the time maybe because I, now I got this formal offer. So that means that I should stop learning by myself and I shouldn't either become a maybe I should become a wagon driver. And he decided, okay, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to do. So he's 70 years old and he goes down to the place, to the horses' stalls where they have the, you know, the, the, where they, people uh, prepare their horses to take people on rides. And he comes there and they ask him, no, where are you going? Where are you traveling to? We'll take you. He says, no, no, no. I didn't come 
to get a ride. I came to learn how to be a driver. I want to become a wagon driver. And they started laughing at him. You, Rabbi, this guy with this long beard, you want to become 70 years old? You want to start this profession to become a wagon driver? A balagola. And he tells him, yes, I really want to do it. One guy even mocked at him and said that probably you're making a mistake in the balagala. You mean to learn to learn the laws of Hagala, not to become a balagala. Hagala is the laws of koshering pots. Agala means a wagon, like a wagon driver. So this guy said to him, you're like a scholar, a Torah scholar. Probably you're learning, you want to learn the laws of Hagala to kosher, not to become a, a Agala driver. Anyways, finally, when the, when the laughing all stopped at him, they, somebody realized that he was very serious, said, you know what, Rabbi, I'll help you. I'll teach you how to saddle a horse. Come with me. And he tries to teach him how to saddle a horse. Then he tries to teach him how it works and the ropes and the whole thing. And he's there and he's in the mud and he's getting muddy and the horses are kicking and he's getting mud all over him, place from head to toe. And during this time, one of the horses gave a whip with his tail and he hit him in the eye, almost lost the eye because of this. <laughs> he had a day like he never had in his life. He comes home and he's filthy from head to toe. He goes straight to change all his clothes, changes all his clothes and he's like, forget it, this is just not for me. And he walks to the synagogue, and he gives a class, and then he starts falling into these thoughts, what am I supposed to be doing? The Alter Rebbe told me I should become a wagon driver. But on the other hand, I'm not capable to this. This is not for me. I can't leave my studies of Torah. I enjoy it so much. And he was struggling back and forth for a couple of days. Finally, he decided that it's time I should do what the sages of the Torah teach us to do. It's time that I sit down with my wife and I tell her my whole dilemma. And let me follow the wisdom of my wife. He comes home and his wife is holding the little baby and she's crying. She's home alone. His husband was out there, who knows what, depressed walking around. He's, she's there holding the baby. And he says to her why she's crying. She tells him, then she says to him, why are you crying? He sits down and he tells her the story. He says, you know, 10 years ago I was by the Alter Rebbe. He's the one that told me that I should get married. And I listened to him and I got married. But he also told me another thing that I should become a wagon driver and I shouldn't be Yosef the Balhasbara, but I should be Yosef the Balagala, the wagon, the wagon driver. And I don't know what to do. I'm torn from this back and forth. She stands up and she says to him, Are you kidding? You should be the happiest person in the world. Of course you should become a wagon driver. If the Alter Rebbe told you to become a wagon driver, of course you have to do that. She says, here's my necklace, my pearls. I want you to go and sell it to buy a horse and buggy so you have the, what you need to be a driver. He could not believe the pure faith that his wife had. She wasn't even raised in this kind of Hasidic background of family and she had such a pure faith that she's going to accept, that she wants to accept everything what Dr. Rebbe said a hundred percent. He was so amazed by her. But then he started getting these thoughts the other way. It's very nice and impressive of her pure sincerity. But what's with me? I have to give up all my enjoyable learning 
and Torah studies just to become the wagon driver. How could I do this? And he started to walk around and he started to walk outside. And for the next couple of days, he couldn't eat, he couldn't drink, he started losing weight. It was no good. He comes home one day, a few days later, and his wife, at that point, has all the money already turned, the, the jewelry turned into money. She puts it down on the table and says, We got the money, now you can go buy the horse. See, he thinks to himself and he says, Mama, I have the money, my wife's pure faith. And he says to her that I'm going to do it. I'm going to go buy the horse. And he remembers to himself that he once had a friend whose name was Reb Chaim Yeshua from a city called Velizh. And he says, you know what? My friend is a big Torah scholar and he learns every single day and he davens every single day and he's a wagon driver. So maybe it is possible to be a good observant observant Jew and learn and keep all your schedules and also be a wagon driver. Maybe I could do that. Let me go to him and find out how, how he could do, how he does it. So he goes to his friend of Chaim Yeshua and he tells him, I want to learn how to be a wagon driver. And he says, oh my God, you lost your marbles. You must be going, see now, what happens? This old age, what happened to you? How could this be? This is what you want to do. He says, you, 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 something happened to you. Are you sure? What? Finally, he couldn't hold himself in and he stands up as Hasidim did those days when they repeated something they heard from the Rebbe, they said it in a standing position. And he says to them, let me tell you what I heard from the Alter Rebbe 10 years ago. And he tells his friend the story. He never wanted it to tell it to anybody. And he reveals, the, tells him the story about the marriage, and getting married and the becoming the Balagala. And his friend says, if that's the case... You're the happiest guy in the world. You should do this. Basimcha, I'm going to teach you all the ropes how to become a wagon driver. Stay with me. It's going to take you two or three days and you're going to know how to do it. You'll know how to saddle the horse, connect the wagon, the whole thing. Okay? So in a few days, he's, becomes, he's ready to do his first rides and he gets some customers and he starts driving this guy to this town and to that town and this becomes his thing. A while later, he needed to stay in, in an inn somewhere. And there was a Jewish guy that had uh, some kind of inn. And he checked into the inn. While he was there, there was a, a big group of people there that were traveling. And this was um, like, like the duke of this, uh, this town. And the duke was staying there in the hotel with his whole entourage of people. And they went hunting. They were all there. And including with all these people was one of the Duke's relatives, a woman, her husband was a Jewish guy that left the ways of practicing of Torah and mitzvahs. The guy was raised with Torah and mitzvahs, but he left his roots. And he, he, he went so far that he even went to marry a non-Jewish woman. And he marries this Duke's you know, relative so he was part of on this trip because you know, he was there helping. The Duke himself had to go somewhere to travel the next morning. So he told this guy, you could uh, go, go somewhere else. And this other guy, this Jewish guy, his name was Solomon Geminsky. Or his real Hebrew name was Shlomo Leib. And this uh, Jewish guy was staying. And he asked the, in, the owner innkeeper, the owner, he said to him, could you do me a favor? Could you arrange that I should have a taxi driver in the morning? I need a wagon driver for the morning. I have to leave somewhere, but I've got to leave early. I have something I got to do somewhere. I got to leave five o'clock in the morning. 
So he says, actually, we have in the hotel staying here is this Jewish guy. He's a wagon driver. And I'm going to put you together. I'll make the shidduch of you two. So he calls in the Yosef, the Balagala, the wagon driver. He says, could you please drive this guy tomorrow morning? And Yosef says, listen, I have no problem to drive him. I, I no problem. But here's the deal. I don't travel until I finish my morning prayers. It's five o'clock in the morning. It's still dark. I can't do my morning prayers. Not happening. <laughs> He says, what time do you finish your prayers? He says, I don't know. Usually 10, 11 o'clock. He says, what? So late. He gets mad at him. He says, listen, I'm sorry. I can't. And they start arguing with him. And he says, no, I, I can't do it. This is what I do all my life. I don't do business before I do my morning prayers. Anyways, they couldn't budge. So this uh, Jewish... Um, you know, a tenant here of the hotel, tells the owner, he says, do me a favor, an hour before this guy is ready to drive me, wake me up and I could wash up and shower up and, and, you know, and eat and then I'll be ready to go. Rabbi Yosef is in his room by night and he's thinking about this challenge that he was put here of these people bothering him, you know, to leave early and he kept this, that's not the right thing to do. And he takes out his prayer book by night and to say his night Shema. And then he starts to pray his midnight, it's called Tikkun Chatzos, the special prayers of midnight where we uh, think about the destruction of the temple. And he sits there by his, in his room on the floor with a candle and he's praying. And all these things, these thoughts start bothering him more and more. Then he starts thinking about, what happened to me? I used to be a guy that used to learn Torah all day and night. My wife made a great living and I had to, was able to go teach Torah and do my Torah. And now with all this, I can't do anything. I'm so tied up here. And he starts to cry and he's crying, he's crying, he's crying. In the next room, was this other Jewish guy who left Yiddishkeit for years Married out, had kids. He actually had three kids. Two of them already died. He was left with a wife and one child. And he was listening through the thin walls. He hears that this Yosef, the wagon driver, is crying. He goes out of his room and he goes to the door and he's, he can't believe what he sees. He sees through the door, the crack of the door, that he sees the wagon driver is sitting on the floor and praying and he hears him saying the prayers that he's familiar with. He says, I know that tune of the Shema. And he goes back into the room and he starts thinking about these tunes of these prayers. I was raised with this. My father taught this to me. I learned this in Cheder. What happened to me that I left the path? These important values of hundreds, a few thousand years of Yiddishkeit that I left them all. And he starts thinking about all this. And now he starts to cry. In the morning, he comes, early morning, comes knocking on Yosef, the wagon driver's door, and he says to him, can I please borrow your tefillin? I haven't put on tefillin in years. I want to put on tefillin. He says, sure, I could have my tefillin. One hour passes, two hours passes, a few hours passes. Yosef goes to the room to see what's going on. Where's my, where's my tefillin? And he hears the guy crying away there with the tefillin. So he didn't want to bother me. He understood what was going on, that this guy had this awakening of this repentance. Finally, in the afternoon, the guy brings him back to Tefillin and the guy says, listen, I have to tell you the truth. I'm really not feeling well and I'm not ready to travel. 
can you please stay overnight? We'll go tomorrow. So Yosef, the wagon driver, says, no problem. Of course we'll wait till tomorrow. That night, he needs a doctor, this guy. They call a doctor. He has a very high fever. And the doctors try to give him medicine to calm it down. They can't calm it down. They can't break the fever. They tell him that if the fever doesn't break by tomorrow, you're not going to be able to survive this. This guy goes unconscious. And the next morning, he wait, he's like a little bit up, but he's completely high fever. The doctors say there's not going to be much hope to this guy. There's no way he can make this. He's weak. He's out. Rabbi Yosef understood of what brought all this. Rabbi Yosef asked the doctors for permission to go into his room to talk to him. They figured this guy's going to die anyways. Let Rabbi Yosef go in. So Yosef, the wagon driver, goes inside. He sits down next to him. He tries to talk to him and calm him down. and tries to tell him, listen, sir. He says, it's time for you to come back to your roots. If you make the decision to come back to your roots, I will help you to study the Torah, to practice the mitzvah. I'll help you to get back to it. You'll come back with me. I'll help you. During all of this commotion, there was a a uh, a messenger that was dispatched to come to the hotel to try to find this guy who's the relative of the duke to tell him that his wife and his child were on a boat and from the waves, there was a lot of tur- turbulence there, tur- tur- uh, movement. And the boat turned over and his wife and his child died. And everybody said, there's no way we could tell him these news. You tell him this news, that's it. He's going to die for sure. How can you tell us such a thing to the guy? But Rabbi Yosef understood of what was going on over there. So Rabbi Yosef realized that if I tell him this news, this could actually awaken him. He could actually be excited because he's regretting so much of what he did. And Rabbi Yosef tells everybody to leave. He needs to talk to him, you know, one-on-one. And he whispers into his ear and telling him that, listen, you should know that you're going to, you know, that Hashem is accepting your tshuva, your repentance, and your wife and your child, Hashem took them back. And they're not here on this world anymore. See, even though you brought them here through sin, but Hashem took them back. So he accepted your repentance. And he begged him to come with him back to, to back, back with him wherever he was going. And the person slowly woke up. He got better and better. And then eventually they were able to travel. And he, and he went first to the duke. And he told the duke, you know what, I, now that my wife died and my son died, I want to go back to my Jewish community. First, he didn't want to let him go. Then he realized it would be the best for him, so he let him go. And he went back with Yosef, the wagon driver, to his town. While they were traveling back to his town, Rabbi Yosef got a message when he, wherever he was passing that there was a group of Hasidim that wanted to travel to Lubavitch, to the Mittler Rebbe, to the second Chabad Rebbe. Because at that time already, this is already way more than 10 years since he got this instruction from the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe passed away in 1813. And by then already, the Alter Rebbe's son became the next Rebbe. We call him the Mittler Rebbe. And 
these Hasidim wanted the wagon driver to take them to Lubavitch. They insisted to go by, by foot because he said you, to Jerusalem, you go. So go here also. Anyways, 40 people together went, including Yosef, the wagon driver, and this other Jew, uh, Shloyme Leib, or Solomon Gminsky, and they went together and they came to the Mittler Rebbe. This uh, uh, Solomon went into the Mittler Rebbe and told him the story, and the Mittler Rebbe told him that, he told him like this, he told him that, um, he said that, I'm going to give you an order of things, what to learn to fix up, you know, your, your past, your past ways. And then you'll be able to uh, go back into the community. This, and, and then the, when, when Yosef, the wagon driver came in to the Mittal Rebbe for his private audience, the Mittal Rebbe told him, that my father came to me, that means the Alter Rebbe came down to him, you know, in, in a vision, and told him that you should know that your soul has fulfilled its mission in being a wagon driver, because that's why you had to become a wagon driver, to help this other Jew come back. And now that you did that, you have fulfilled your mission, and now you could go back to the ways of your learning Torah, and now you can become a rabbi of a community, and so on. Now, this story is brought down and printed, like I told you, but it's also printed in the Lessons of Tanya, in the Yiddish one for sure, over there, which means the Rebbe edited it and allowed it to go in there as a proof to a very high level of tshuva that it's possible to rectify a sin which seems to be impossible to rectify. Because you see here that this guy, his tshuva was such a high level of tshuva that it even caused that his wife and his child would go back to their creator, and his tshuva was accepted. So bringing down the story as a conclusion to the five chapters, five sichos here on the subject of tshuva, especially in today's lesson, of the two levels of tshuva, the level that cleanses uh, a blemish, and the level through this high level of tshuva could reach the level that you could make up for lost light that you never brought down before, which is an incredible Idea, and that is the level. What's the higher level of tshuva? Of committing to bonding with Hashem even higher than just following His instructions. Meaning, not just doing the mitzvahs, but even constantly going and going higher and higher and higher in your bond, not just fulfilling the mitzvahs. Now, one more detail about this fascinating story. My father-in-law, Rabbi Slavin, right? The the Balkorian 770, his father. He told me that when he got married, the custom was that you went into the private audience with the Rebbe, and if you wanted to move out and open a Chabad house and become one of his emissaries, you asked the Rebbe this. But before he had a chance to go into the Rebbe's private audience, the Rebbe's secretary, his top secretary, Rabbi Chadukov, called in my father-in-law to his office and said to him that the Rebbe wants to know if you know the story of Yosef, the wagon driver. And when it came clear that my father-in-law knew the story, he told him that my message that I have, that I'm supposed to give over to you is that when you're going to go into the Rebbe's room, be prepared because the Rebbe is going to be sending you into the world of business. 
instead of becoming one of his shulchim out there in the field. And that's when he learned that his mission was to be like this Yosef, the wagon driver. Now, I know many other people, including my own father, who the Rebbe told him to go into business, but never did I ever hear somebody with this story, with the Rebbe, like, connected it to the story of being like Yosef, the wagon driver. So in other words, there's a couple lessons here. One lesson is that you never know what your mission in this world is. And the second lesson is that when the Rebbe tells somebody to do something, it's because the Rebbe knows what's best for your soul. And that's the way you could accomplish it. So this is an important thing because a lot of times you can't see it. It could take sometimes 10 years, 15 years till you could get to appreciate. But if you have the faith, like the wife of this Rebbe Yosef, that if the Rebbe says to do something, you go and you do it because you know that that's the right thing for your soul. That's the best thing for you.